Welcome to the Top Order Podcast, one for the cricketing purists, because this one is all about Red Bull. Hugh Briss predictions from the Top Order boys as Pat Cummins brings Australia to a victory in the Benno Kadir Trophy. I'm probably going to have a rant, if I'm honest, about West Indies um, and England, and the innocent bystander is going to get caught up in it all. Stuart Lipshaw, stay tuned. Well, we were just doing a very, very quick retro of our Pakistan-Australia comments throughout the course of this series. Two pretty dull draws, if you're honest, that would have helped even um, the the most ardent cricket supporter um, with insomnia. I think we would have uh, said those first couple of test matches. But then Pat Cummins has turned in an amazing performance with the ball and the maligned Nathan Lyon. Has, has also participated to bowl Australia to victory in the third test. Mm. Um, Balder, you must be, yeah, look, pr- pr- proud as punch. Before we go into that, I do just want to say, we claim our predictions when they're kind of about half right, sometimes mm. a quarter right, sometimes 10% right. I, I am, and this is my brother texted me um, during the course of the series, Usman Kawaja averaging 165, 200s and 250s. Didn't quite pull off the triple century that I said he would, but he's had a bloody good series, so I'm claiming half a point there. Yeah, fair enough. You can claim half a point for Usman Kawaja. Look, I've spent most of this week uh, chiselling the egg off my face after I predicted the Australian test would end up in a dour draw and that Nathan Lyon wouldn't bowl Australia to victory and that Pat Cummins gets his declarations wrong because all three of those things transpired to happen almost perfectly for Australia oh, in almost the third ju- test. Just about when we At, finished recording that last podcast. In fact, yeah, I think it was 170 for one. I think when we, <laughs> when we left the last podcast recording, Australia got a wicket one. 70 for two and then everything started happening after that so clearly the butterfly effect uh, has had some causal relationship between my pointed comments about Australia's lack of ability to bowl ourselves to victory in the final day and declarations and etc etc and it's clearly had an effect so I will wipe all the egg off my face apologize humbly and profusely to Nathan Lyon the next time that I see him if ever about his ability to bowl Australia to victory in the fourth innings few stats for you boys nine wickets in the second innings in that series including five in the victory so he averaged 30 uh, in the second inning strike rate of 78 uh, but in the in the first innings, only three wickets. I think he averaged close to 100. Uh, but he did do the job. Nine wickets in the second innings in those last two tests. Bowled Australia to victory in one and, and did pretty much, he did as much as he could do, I think, in that in that second test. Yep. Uh, I think fielding let him down a little bit. Catching let him down in front of and behind the wicket. And Australia let themselves generally in, down in that department in that second test draw. So, look, Nathan Lyon has come under a lot of criticism in terms of his ability to do the things that he was able to do in this test match. So you've got to give him credit. I think you've got to give him a big plus and a big tick. Uh, And it just goes to show how good Pat Cummins is in a series where no one averaged better than 34 on probably some of the best batting wickets or certainly the least assistive bowling wickets that I think I've ever seen. Pat Cummins averaged 22 in that series, one off his career average and struck under 60, only bowler in the series to strike under 60. So he struck at 55. So I think it just goes to show just how good that guy is against his peers that no one even got within 34 and he was averaging at 22 throughout that series. And he was the guy who was the instigator in both tests of being able to get through that that Pakistan top order and, and make some real inroads. Yeah, well, Raj not recording with us tonight, but I'm sure he'd want me to say got, got his place right in the Hall of Fame is, is the comment he's made in the notes, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it did make me, you know, I, I, I was probably the one of the biggest critics of uh, of the Hall of Fame spot for Pat Cummins. It felt 
uh, far too early in his career to be to be that high. I still sort of stand by that, but I mean, you know, he's he's certain, the thing is that just everything that he does seems to just turn to gold, and um, you know, and we've talked about how he's you know been framed as I guess the the golden boy of Australian cricket. There was yeah, as you say, there was conversations about his declarations and and all of that sort of stuff. But yeah, boy, Im- impressive stuff. And and to win that series, it's a big deal, I think, to to go over there and win that Huge series in deal. Pakistan. Huge deal. Bowling looked difficult for everyone in that series, and and to take that many wickets was was very impressive. Baldy, this is not me being English and you being Australian and me not liking Australians, but yeah, fair I, enough. I've got I've got to ask a question. Who are the losers from this Australian series for you? Quiet series for Warner and Travis Head. Yep. We, we talked about Labashain was going to come back to the pack at some point yep. as well, but any question marks for you from this series from an Australian perspective? Yeah, I, I had a look at this today actually in, in re- reflecting on the Australian series and obviously there are some massive, massive highlights for Australia. Pat Cummins, 12 wickets at 22. You mentioned Usman Kawaja. He gets four or 5,000 ticks for his... Are you still sort of thinking that Australia maybe look to the future there or are you pretty happy with Kawhi? No, reasonably, no, they should I, throw someone in that could be good in six or seven years yeah. I reckon yeah. well they've done that that's Cameron Green he got 155 <laughs> runs at 51 and was pretty impactful in terms of his contribution in this series as well so tick for Australia to put someone who's <laughs> for the future there no you're absolutely right should Australia look to the future at some point yes but Kawaja should have been in this Australian team for the last five or six years, solidly at the top of the order. He has made 100 after 100 after 100 for Australia and shows now he averages 47 in test cricket having played 50 tests. That is as good as an average as you could ask for for an opening bat. He is an excellent, excellent cricketer, should have played a lot more for Australia, and I'm so glad, so happy that he made a bunch of runs in this series coming off the back of his recall from the Ashes. That's probably what it's showing, right, that he should have been playing a lot earlier rather than the, you know, why why haven't they looked to the future, all that conversation there. He should have been in there a lot longer when, you know, they were going with Burns and... Renshaw and, and yeah, Bancroft and and, 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 Harris. and... and, 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 and... Yeah. Uti Kawaja should have been a lock from 2017 onwards. Look, um, who who didn't have a great series, Binksy? Warner hasn't had a great series. 169 runs at 33 in good batting conditions. Averaging 33 in, in and of itself is not so bad, but averaging 33 in good batting conditions when your opening partner is averaging 165 shows that there's one guy who at 35 plus is still performing at a very high level. David Warner in the T20 World Cup performed at an incredibly high level. But for a couple of years now, he hasn't really made the kind of contribution that we saw for him in his golden summer against Pakistan and New Zealand a couple of years ago. So that's a little bit concerning to me. He made a friend, though, Charlie Shaheen. Yes, uh, good mates with Charlie Shaheen now. Uh, good, and actually, good to see that that, that that ferocity on the field doesn't result in animosity. You can be ferocious, you can be aggressive, you can be competitive, but it doesn't mean that you have to be you have to have animosity with your teammate. You can be... I just thought it was a great moment. I thought it was a really good moment in the series. Um, yeah, Manus has come back to the pack a little bit, Binksy, for mine, and he's going to continue to come back to the pack a little bit until, you know, he kind of gets over this little mini form slump in his career. Everybody goes through it. You know, everybody has that period where runs just can't stop flowing from their bat. It's going to be really interesting to see how he deals with with his very, very unusual and interesting technique, deals with having nicked off a couple of times. Because if you've got a good technique, you trust it and you keep going and you keep going and you just believe 
that eventually it's going to turn around for you. If you've got a bit of a homespun technique, like Smith has, like a few players have had in their in their history, and I'm thinking guys like Chanderpaul and and these kind of blokes that have a very interesting backlift and a very interesting setup, when they go through a rough patch, it tends to look and feel a little bit rougher because they get themselves in uncomfortable positions. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Manus bounces back from this. I expect that he's going to be somewhere north of 35 as a test cricketer in the wash-up of his career, but he's not going to continue to average 54-55 like he has for the last couple of years. Uh, I just, To me, the bloke needs two weeks in Ibiza. He's just so intense. <laughs> if there's anybody that needs to just get away from cricket for a little while, and he'll find that really hard, won't he? Because mm-hmm. he just is an absolute tragic, but... I, in in the good way, in a, in a real good way, I, in an absolutely yeah. brilliant way. I, I, look, I actually quite like the bloke, and uh, other than his no run stuff, which I've banned in my under eleven side, I've, <laughs> and I pull him out of the net if they give it the no run. And but yeah, he, he, if, if anyone needs a holiday in a, a European drinking resort just to get away from cricket, it's him. Yep. Um, let's have a look. Let's go through the Australian side in terms of those guys that are on the slide. Travis Head didn't have a great series. 60 runs at or 70 runs at 22. Bounce back okay in this one day, though. Scored Bounce, 100 yeah, off yeah, 70 yeah. balls. Yeah, can, he can play one-day cricket, Travis Head. He's a real fine for Australia. He's been awesome in the domestic stuff. Scored a double 100 in the domestic competition, I think against Queensland, actually, in that domestic comp. So he's a great opening bat in white ball formats. He's the succe- uh, successor to Aaron Finch when he decides to give up the give up the gloves. Um yeah, let's talk about wicket-keeping, though. Alex Carey has made runs in the series, to be fair, 180 runs at 60. So he has made runs. Yeah, okay, he's been helped by some not-outs, but he has made runs in this series. What have you thought of his glove work? Because there's some issues there with that Australian slips cordon still that Warney wasn't able to fix and is still persisting even now. Yeah, so, look, I, I don't think he is the best keeper that you've got in your, in your format, in your country um we'll come on and we'll talk about england west indies and i'm sure we'll come on to ben folks in that conversation as well so it's not it isn't the only thing and, and even as a wicket keeping purist I, I think the runs are important the biggest concern for me is the way that your slip cordon set up and we've seen now a couple of series in a row the ball going between keeper and first slip which on these kind of wickets um you can't afford to let those kind of chances go begging um his glove work was probably a little bit tidier than the Ashes, if yep. if I'm being brutally honest. And I would say Pakistan's probably a more difficult place to keep wicket than um, at home in Australia because the bounce is a little bit lower. You're standing a little bit closer. There's a bit more reverse. The odd one's not going to carry. There's You're a up bit a little bit wobble, more. All those things. All those kind of things. But it, it's got to be a little bit of a concern. And, and maybe a question as to whether or not Carey is good enough to get in as a batter alone and, and maybe looks at one of those middle order spots. But... And definitely some work to do on his keeping. Um, I I don't know who is in and around your setup from a wicket-keeping coaching perspective right now, um, but I would suggest that he would want to spend um, a significant amount of time with them and really um, hone um, hone that craft. Maybe it's Tim Payne. He's got some work to do, absolutely. And I think it's as much his combination with keeper and first slip. And Australia have been blessed for a long time. I think I've touched on this before. Australia have been blessed for a long, long time with some great keeper first slip combinations. We're now finding out that that's not a given in the Australian setup. It's not a fait accompli. And we've suffered in this series because that Alex Carey, Steve Smith combination or Alex Carey and Warner, whoever is at first slip, hasn't really worked um, seamlessly for Australia. So lots and lots of work to do there. I'm not sure that he makes it ahead of Manus 
Steve Smith or Travis Head in that middle order. So he's got to be there as a wicketkeeper. I think he's currently still the best option, although I think Josh Inglis is starting to close that gap a little bit. So look, he's got to have a good series and not multiple series with the gloves, both red ball and white ball, to keep his place in the side. But we also have to remember, Adam Gilchrist, when he came into the Australian side to replace Ian Healy, took a lot of stick for his for his wicket-keeping skills as well in that first year, 18 months in the job, and he grew into that role pretty swiftly and pretty quickly. Yeah, he did get a leg side stump in his first test off Warner, I think, which might might have helped. A very, bit, very much yeah. helped. I mean, it helps to, to keep to great bowlers as well. Um, but look, yeah, work to do for Alex Carey. Let's ha- let's turn it around before we move on to the England West Indies series, which we are going to touch on. Let's talk about the good things from that Pakistan series for Pakistan. A return to Test cricket after a long hiatus for the country, so a wonderful, wonderful return for them. A a well patroned uh, patroned. I think if that's the right word, Lippy, you're, you're the wordsmith. Um, a, a well-attended, a well-supported Patron, series. Patronised. Is it patronised? <laughs> no? Just, just carry on. Just there carry was on, lots Bobby. of people there. There yeah. were lots of people there, lots of support. Look, it, <laughs> it was a great series on the whole, ultimately successful for Pakistan. Lots to like about their performance. They just didn't get the result. Yeah, look, I mean, I think we... You know, we've seen from this series that uh, Barbara Azam is very good at batting, which we probably already Rizwan's knew. Rizwan's not bad as, as well. Rizwan's pretty good. Shaheen Shafridi is a very good bowler. Hassan Ali is a very good bowler. You know, I, I think the thing is that all, all of the things that we might have known about Pakistan, I don't think a lot of that has necessarily changed. Bully, you think something has? Oh, absolutely. I, I, think, I think Pakistan have unearthed an opening combination that's going to yeah, take them through the retirements of Azhar Ali and, and Fawad Alam. You know, the two senior cricketers that are going to step down, they're going to need stability at the top of the order. Um, Imam Al-Haq, 26, Abdullah Shafiq, 22. That's an opening combination that, on the face of it, based on this series, looks like it's going to be around for eight to ten years to come, and that's a really big plus to come out of the series for them. Yeah, look, that that is a good point, and I suppose I, I'm just a bit weary about judging anything in, for the batters from the series because they were just such roads, and, you know... I yeah, guess fair point. We, we, you know, I mean, you could be right, and I hope you are. You know, it's they're, they're an exciting cricket side to watch, although a lot of this cricket wasn't so exciting in this series. That, but I think they've got a lot of strings to their bow as, as a cricket side. So if they can develop that, that balanced side and, and to fill all those spots, then they can be a side that can go around the world and, and play quite well. So, yeah, I, I think that there are there's some strengths there for sure. I think it's a wonderfully balanced Pakistan side at the moment. You've got great experience in there in Fawad Alam and Azhar Ali. You've got some tr- prodigious talent in Babar Azam and Rizwan. Two promising opening bats. So there's your top six sorted. You've got a pretty good all-rounder in Fahim Ashraf. I thought when he came into the Pakistan side, he added a lot of punch to their bowling. He did all of the hard work for them and allowed them to kind of have attacking spin options and attacking fast bowling options. So I like him at number seven. I, I really like Hassan Ali. I really like Shaheen Afridi. Naseem Shah came back yeah, into the side. Good, wasn't it? That was a great comeback from him. You know, he looked pretty tired um, and underdone when he was touring Australia a couple of years ago. I mean, admittedly, he was only 16 or 17 years old at the time and pretty raw. But he's come back a better cricketer now in this series. So, look, I think there's a lot to like about this Pakistan side and the way they're set up is really well balanced. Pitches aside, I'd really like to have seen this be a, a, a five-test series. Um, you look at the averages in Pakistan, top, top four of the averages, all scored over 300 runs at an average of over 60. Mm. And then Rizwan chipped in uh, with an average of 46 as well. If you look at that in isolation, you'd be like, how do you lose a three-test yeah. series with five guys averaging over 46 and yeah. and, th- and four of them averaging over 60? So yeah, just shows... 
Yeah, how, how much that, you know, there were rows. And most importantly, I think, just how good that bowling performance was from uh, Pat Cummins in that final test match yeah. to take eight for in uh, in the game. Yeah. And, and look, before we move on from this Pakistan series, I want to, um, you know, I've sat here and listened to talk about how good Australia was. New Zealand is going there later this year. What if, what do you think we've actually learned about what you need to have in your side to go over to Pakistan? Obviously, it's nice to have batters that were prepared to bat for a long time, but but in terms of taking wickets, perhaps, what what do you think New Zealand's going to have to do? Because I think the the thing that you always think about when you go to Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka is that you think, okay, well, we've got to take some more spinners than we normally do on a tour. Mm. Do you think that's the case here? What kind let's, of bowlers do you think will be un- effective? Let's let's unpack a couple of things from that from that last test because that's when Australia really unlocked the key to victory. And yes, we can point to the fact that Nathan Lyon got five for in the second inning. So you do need a spinner that's going to be able to exploit uneven bounce more than anything or, or deteriorating conditions. And in Ajaz, they've actually got a really good mm. bowler who can do that. He's tight. He's a little bit like those Indian spinners in that he's not going to give you anything that you can really score from. And if he's going to be able to be at you all the time, at the stumps, at the stumps, at the stumps, he's going to be able to take advantage of uneven bounce or variation, natural variation in the wicket. One of them's going to pop and it'll go to the point bat pad or, or leg side bat pad or whatever. So That's a great point because I thought that was when Lyon looked his best. When when Barbara Zahm in particular didn't know how much the ball was going to spin, I think yep. that that's when he actually you know he, Lyon had Barbara looking in a bit of trouble at times and eventually got him in that in that mm. second innings. So I think that's a, that's a really key point for New Zealand and and a big credit to Nathan Lyon who operated with an offside bat pad, which he's not normally comfortable doing. So he's he had to change a little bit of his setup. That's going to be real key. The thing that really unlocked Australia's victory is their ability to generate reverse swing in that test match. So Mitchell Stark, having looked not, he wasn't really penetrative in the first two and a half t- you know, tests really was able to unlock some reverse swing. And then we went, started to go through that Pakistan batting pretty quickly. You know, Pat Cummins was able to unlock a bit of reverse swing. Mitchell Stark, likewise, I think that's going to be the key. Whether it's Wagner or Bolt or whomever in that New Zealand attack, somebody is going to have to be able to master reverse swing and master bringing the ball back in from outside off stump towards those right-handed batters that Pakistan have got. Maybe it's Kyle Jamison. We know that he can bowl pretty decent in-swinger at good pace with Mm. good bounce. Cameron Green was effective. So I think that's going to be the key. Who's going to be able to bowl reverse swing in that old ball type of conditions because the new ball didn't really do very much at all and we saw that in terms of the averages of Shafiq and uh, Imam and Azhar Ali during that series Binksy. Yeah I don't disagree with anything you've said but I'll just add to that patience and fitness mm. and the ability to bowl maidens if you look at Stark and Cummins in particular they were fantastic in their ability to Bowled dry when it wasn't in their favour. I think bowled far more many maidens than their uh, Pakistan counterparts from a seeming perspective. And then that gave them the right when the ball did start to reverse to Mm. actually um, exploit those conditions. And I think it's about understanding when that happens and and switching that on really, really quickly. So for New Zealand, I think Wagner's going to be really important. Absolutely. And and, And we would be remiss as a threesome if we didn't do the right thing by Raj, who's not here tonight, and say that Neil Wagner's got to be the first man on the team sheet as far as New Zealand's selection is concerned because he is the man who can do all of those things After for the Black Devin Cats. Conway. It's interesting, though, because to hear you say that maidens are going to be important, 
Wagner's not necessarily someone who bowls a lot of maidens. He's someone who at times runs in and bowls short, is kind of prepared to give away a few boundaries to pick up a wicket on these surfaces that are really hard to, to bowl on. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I actually think Trent Bolt's going to be a really key bowler for so them. He's your guy that bowls maidens. And yeah. Jameson's your guy that bowls maidens. Yeah. Um, and Wagner is your point of difference. Yeah. He, he's the guy that might just change it when the ball isn't doing anything yeah. in that in that middle period. But from a batting perspective, New Zealand are well set up. They've got guys who can bat a long period of time. Latham, Conway, Nichols, Kane, all of those guys in the top. I mean, assuming Kane plays by that stage, but all of those guys in the top order are well set up to be able to bat for long, long periods of time. And you're going to need someone to make a really, really big hundred like we saw Pakistan do in order to get themselves ahead in that match. And the, and the key is to be able to bat once if you can. Absolutely. That's fair enough. You've indulged me enough on New Zealand there, given we haven't played a test for a little while. Binksy, we've got to now move to West Indies, England. I, I see your head drop immediately when we when we start to, to talk about that. I mean, what what happened in that final game? A lot of the talk in the, the earlier two games was how England was... They'd, they'd been potentially relatively dull draws as well, much as we've talked about with, with uh, the Australia-Pakistan stuff. But... I think you would say that England at least had the upper hand for parts of those two games. This third test, just everything went wrong, right? Yeah, look, I actually want to spin it round. I think we're going to talk a little bit about England because I'm English and I want to have a rant about it and because (laughs) my wife doesn't like cricket, so there's nowhere else for me to talk about this. But I think I've got to say, first and foremost, England haven't won in the West Indies very often in the course of the last 40 or 50 years. I think one series from memory in my lifetime that we've gone over there and come home with uh, with the spoils. Um, so a massive, I know it's a cliche, but a massive amount of credit to, to West Indies. I thought they took their opportunity really well in that third test. Uh, Josh De Silva, who had had an absolute stinker with the gloves, uh, scores a, a fantastic um, 100. Craig Brathwaite was superb throughout the series. And uh, Mayers, who I think was one of my picks actually in that IPL, just came in and bowled really, really well in that final um, test match. The, the thing, though, that I'm going to come back to from an England perspective, the thing that really, really winds me up, and um, I love Joe Root. Um, he was our top batter in this uh, tour. Um, no surprises there. Um, averaging close to his career average as captain on a sinking ship, couple of hundreds, but you know couldn't really go to the well that last time in the third test match and, and get us out of trouble, particularly in that second innings. But the, the thing that's really wound me up is the rhetoric that's coming out of the dressing room. Um, the Red Bull reset. Baldy, you're in IT. Um, they've had the reset. They're going to have to restart it again, aren't they? And plug it back in and try the Ethernet cables. And um, I don't know what they're going to need to do. They, they are going to need another factory reset of the reset here um, as we go into it. But it's that rhetoric around we're taking the positives out of it. Um, I've heard them talk about... The inevitable question, would you have won with Broad and Anderson? Do you regret not bringing them? No, we're really pleased with our two debutants. Let's put that into a little bit of perspective. I thought uh, Saqib Mahmood actually performed reasonably well. Six wickets at 22 across the two test matches. Yeah, I agree. Showed a little bit of promise. If he'd have been coming on, for me, second change um, behind Broad, maybe Anderson or Robinson or whoever you bring into um, bring into that equation. And then Fisher is the other guy that they're talking about. Is one for seventy-one um, across um, across the match that that he played in. That's not an impressive debut, with all due respect to uh, to Fisher. 
And then when we look at the batting, the woes continue. Only Joe Root and Johnny Bairstow, um, improving on his career average of around about 35 and averaging 45 for the series with, um, let's be honest, a, you know, a pretty decent 100 in that test match. But then, uh, look, what have we got to write home about? The problems at the top of the order continue. Um, 100 from Zach Crawley, but then nothing else. 184 runs across the series. Ben Folks didn't take his opportunity, looked skittish with the bat, didn't keep particularly well either. Um, so some question marks there. Um, Alex Lees, as good as that 31 was, you can't really talk about a good 31 um, as anything to really write home about. Um, and look, problems, you know, problems, problems, problems galore. Um, and won't even come on to the bowling and talk about um, a toothless, toothless new ball attack of Chris Wokes um, and Craig Overton. Re- feel really sorry that they've been put in that position, to be perfectly honest, because they didn't have the skills to pay the bills in this particular format on this particular tour. And look, Anderson and Broadstock has only gone up. They're on a hiding to nothing. All of those fast bowlers for England are on a hiding to nothing because what, what, what are they going to do? There are like... Saqib Mahmood has averaged 22 for the series, has acquitted himself really, really well. But really all well. but all anyone's talking about is Anderson and Broad would have done better. And none of those guys could ever live up to the Anderson and Broad hype now that they've not been selected. You're absolutely right. These guys that replaced them were below par, but I don't think it would have mattered what those guys did. Everyone would still be talking about Broad and Anderson, I, I, I think. I don't either, Baldy, but the, the point that I'll make is if you go and ask Saqib Mahmood and you go and ask... Matthew Fisher, would you have liked to play and make your test match debut in a side with one of those two, with you as the third seamer? Would the, that be your... You, would that's that, the perfect setup. They'd have been absolutely... That would have been my dream. That would be brilliant. To ask them to essentially carry a bowling attack in the West Indies on pitches that, to be honest, haven't been particularly conducive to fast bowling, although um, good old Mayers will disagree with that. Mayers has Scott Boland you there. Yeah, Ma- he, he absolutely we'll has. So look, I, I just think England have, you know, they are in a narrow world of trouble. We, we've got a very difficult summer. We complete the series against India. We play you guys, we play New Zealand, and we play South Africa in, in tests. So I, I don't know how, I, I don't know how we sort of come back um, from this, the one positive, if I can take it, is I actually thought Jack Leach had a pretty decent mm. series. Um, and I think he's got to be persevered with in terms of, you know, they, they obviously, for whatever reason, didn't want to play Matt Parkinson. If you're not going to play Matt Parkinson in that series, you're certainly not going to play him um, at Headingley in May. Um, so, look, for, for me, Leach has, has kind of done well out of this, but um, I, I find it really, really bizarre that Joe Root um, wants to continue. I, I admire him massively for saying that he, he still thinks he can take this side forward. I, I, I don't think he can. The fact that they're mentioning Sam Billings coming in to captain the side, I, honestly, honestly, it... it if I was reading a physical newspaper, I would have thrown it. It was only because it was my iPad and I didn't want to break it and that it didn't go through a window. It, it, the root thing is really confusing to me because I think we've talked openly about how us as a group don't really think he's the greatest test captain in the world. I'm not, And I'm not going to stand up for him there in terms of his captaincy. But I think to throw the boot into the guy who's actually the only one who over the 12 months prior has actually performed to an extremely high level 
to even put him in this position where it's all about does Joe Root want to go and keep the captaincy? You know, is Joe Root keeping the captaincy? Should he keep the captaincy? He's holding the team back and all this stuff. No, he's not holding the team back. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. No, no, no. no, no. Joe Root's not holding back this England side who are poised to go on and dominate world cricket because (laughs) they've got, they're busting with talent and all that's missing is an attacking captain. That's not the case here. England have four guys in that side that are really, really good test cricketers. They've got Joe Root. Johnny Bairstow is a really, really good test cricketer. They've got Ben Stokes. And I'm going to make up, the rest of them make up a really, really good test cricketer between <laughs> between all of them. Yeah, the other eight. The, the, honestly, they. I'm sorry, England don't have enough test cricketers that are locks in that team to be saying that Joe Root is the problem in terms of captaincy. That is that is that is not the problem. And I don't think anyone is necessarily saying that he's the problem. I, I think what they're what what the rhetoric is is around taking the side forward. And I, I look. I, my personal view is they they are going to get worse, I think, from here. because well, they certainly will if they drop Joe Root as captain. Yeah, uh, see, I disagree with that. I, I don't think they're necessarily going to get worse as a test cricket side if they drop him as captain because I think he's proved that captain or not captain, he's going to average somewhere between 45 and 50. So we are going to have his runs, assuming he continues to play. I, I personally think for him, and, and if look, I don't know what his aspirations are, but he could do a job in the IPL for a side. He's a busy enough one-day cricketer. We look at the likes of a Kane Williamson who's you know uh, tearing up trees for Sunrisers Hyderabad. Um, very, very well thought of. I see him in a similar vein. He could go out and do a job for an IPL side, and he's not because he's wanted to captain his country, which is, in his view, the pinnacle of cricket. I'd like to see him actually be selfish and go and play as much test cricket as he can for England and go and make some coin in the IPL, to be perfectly honest. So I don't think that him not as captain impacts the side because his runs are still there. Um, I do think that I don't think you can take the side forward when you've been in the role for five years. Your voice is probably just a little bit tired. Um, How many times can you keep saying the same stuff? When, to your point, Baldy, England just don't have the cattle uh, to, to elevate his captaincy to anything. It's not like he can go, well, this would be a great time to bring on my gun spinner for an over because he doesn't have one. Mm. So, but yeah, I, but it, that, all, all of that is true. All of that is absolutely true. And you're right. England won't be worse because Joe Root is not captain. But they're not going to be any better with Dan Lawrence or Ben Stokes or Zach Crawley or Johnny Bairstow as captain, they're not all of a sudden going to elevate the standard of all of those guys around him just by changing the captaincy. And I think it would be folly to give it to Ben Stokes because he's already got enough on his plate. The guy who bowled the most overs of pace for England in that series, Ben Stokes bowled 99 overs. That is a damning insight on all the other fast bowlers who played in that test series because Ben Stokes should be your fourth or fifth test bowling option. And he shouldn't be bowling that many overs. Maybe that is a slight on Root, though, you know, and I think, like, I, I don't know. I, I actually think Root's been let down significantly. on Wokes, but yeah. Well, I, I agree, but, you know, I, I think we've talked about this in the past about how Root's, the way that he's used some of those bowlers and, and not used them necessarily in the right ways. I, I think uh, in his defence, like you say, it's because other bowlers are not performing and he's having to go to the bowlers that are, are actually doing a job for him and he can set fields to and, and all of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I think 
Root's been just severely let down by the all the stuff that's going on in the background and with team selection and, and all these things. And I just think, you know, I suppose the the question that comes out of it is, you know, like you say, Baldy, if it's not Root, who's it going to be? And it, and it seems like when you look through that lineup, there's no one in that side that you would say could really do an any better job than Root when when I just look at it on paper. There's been, you know, lots of left field calls saying someone like Owen Morgan should come in and captain the side and just be that leader. Um, I don't know. I mean, is, and I've seen some people talk about James Vince as someone that could come in and just immediately take the captain. He's very well thought of. He's someone who hasn't really, uh, I guess, had a long-term opt opportunity at England level. This, you know, there's, there's stacks of these English players who have had a small opportunity and then, you know, been out of the side, haven't performed well. I don't know. We could go on. We could list 20 names probably of, of English batters batters that have come in recently and haven't done a... 40, probably, <laughs> closer to. Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't disagree with anything you've said. I think the, the issue for me is that the, the, the lack of an heir is not a reason for someone to mm. continue. Um, and should we move on and talk about the West Indies? Because they've been, look, uh, look uh, really good to watch throughout the course of this series. I, I, we've touched upon Mayers, who just played the single game, but um, certainly lit it up, an average of uh, 4.42, which I think is actually better than Scotty Boland. Yeah, um, he's out Boland, the Boland. He's out, indeed, but um, Brathwaite, for me, leader of men, as well as his runs at the top of the order, I, I think was... Um, the, the standout for me, 902 balls across um, the series. Who else has caught, caught your eye? Oh, we have to give massive credit to Craig Brathwaite because if we think back to when he took over from Jason Holder as captaincy, a lot of people, me in particular, suggested that he wouldn't do as good a job as Jason Holder and Jason Holder did a really good job and it's going to be really tricky for Craig Brathwaite. But he's actually done a really, really good job with this West Indies side and he's been terrific in this series and his bowlers have really backed him up. I mean, if you have a look at some of the strike rates here in this series, particularly from from Kyle Mayers, who was the real destroyer, but a lot of those fast bowlers had strike rates under 60. You know, Jaden Seals, 51, Kemar Roach, 55, and averaging under 30. They've done a really, really good job, that fast bowling unit, and continue to unearth emerging talent. Jaden Seals has come out in this series. I like as Alzari mm. Joseph. I really think he's got a bright future. And, you know, Kyle Mayers is just the, the chief destroyer and comes on and does the business for them. So, look, it's an exciting test side. Jaden Seals is exciting, isn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I know. I mean, he's, he's not... He's not Overly new. Uh, he's been around for a little while now, but yeah, boy, he he's a real talent, and um, yeah, they're bringing through a crop of of these younger West Indian bowlers. That yeah, it's it's exciting. I think for for them. I know Raj is, who's not uh, recording with us tonight. Yeah, he's got a lot of time for the West Indies as a side, and yeah, I, I really I, I don't know. I, I feel like we say it a lot about a lot of these teams that are you know in the kind of five to eight range of of the Test rankings that they they feel like sides that it wouldn't take a lot for them to start moving up those rankings. But yeah, I, I still think there's some concerns about that West Indian batting. I don't I don't think we can kind of gloss over the fact that they've they've won this one test and suddenly they're, you know, a wonderful a wonderful test side. They're always going to have the weakness in the batting though. I think uh, if you if you if you have a look at it, and I don't want to be disrespectful to John Campbell, but John Campbell is kind of indicative of where the West Indies batting is at. I think if West Indies were a really, really strong test side, John Campbell wouldn't be in oh, wouldn't absolutely. be in their first choice eleven, right? Um, but he has come on the back of really good domestic form. That's why they they picked him in this test. 
They've got to persist with Bonner. They've got to persist with Shamar Brooks. I think they've got to find room for Kyle Mayers. He's must-have in that test side in the middle order, as is Jason Holder and uh, Josh De Silva. So that sort of five, six, seven area or six, seven, eight, depending on the balance, is really locked and loaded. They've just got to find a three and four. And I don't mind the idea of Nkumra Bonner and Shamar Brooks as their three and four moving forward. I think they've got. I think they've got a bit of promise. I think they're worth persisting with for a little while to see how they go. But it's certainly not as strong as their bowling department. That's for sure. Yeah, look, I think we're seeing obviously a little bit of a resurgence of test cricket in the West Indies. You know, I think you've made the point. Holder, I think, did bring that group together really, really well um, after, you know, some tough times for them really as a, as a test playing nation. I, I think what we need to acknowledge is they've still got several players that are just plying the white ball trade, that if you parachute them into this West Indian middle order, um, so if you, if you got the likes of a Nicholas Poran, a Shimron Hetmeyer, um, even an Andre Russell batting at seven and kind of balancing your side out, and, and there's probably some others that we could talk about, uh, Evan Lewis um, at the, at potentially at the top of the order, if mm. they actually had invested their time and their talent into Red Bull cricket, you parachute a couple of those proven class players in, and they've adapted back to Red Bull cricket, then all of a sudden you're probably looking for a guy to open the batting with Brathwaite and maybe one other batter, and you've got a pretty decent-looking lineup, some fantastic all-rounders, um, a keeper batsman, and probably you know you, you may be looking for a spinner as well. Pamor yeah. wasn't wasn't great, but so yeah, I I do think that we've got to recognise the fact that they probably still need to rebuild that Red Bull talent up. Uh, with that outflux of players still in franchise cricket, but yeah, and I don't think they're coming back. I think that's the no, thing. they're not going to come back. It's it's actually how do they now b- build yeah. a new generation? How do they keep these guys? Yeah, that, that's going to be the key for the West Indies. Yeah, but look, I, I, in the end, um, we, you know, we 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 bemoaned the turgid pitches, but um, a little bit like the Pakistan Australia series, we, we saw a humdinger of a game at least in that um, third. Uh, third match which roots England to the bottom no pun intended of the World Test Championship table so yeah we're certainly not going to be playing a final wherever it's held no one win from the last 17 tests I saw for for England which is it makes pretty dire reading yeah so as resets go they're, they're at the nadir of the nadirs at the moment there's only surely it's up from here for England maybe it's not I don't know but they need a hairdryer yesterday my iPhone wouldn't work I couldn't get the battery to start 45 seconds with a hairdryer behind it, and uh, suddenly it turned on again. So A different type of hairdryer. I think an Alex Ferguson hairdryer would be <laughs> the thing that, that I would want. But look, I, I've always been a big advocate of two divisions in Test cricket. I think I'd like to retract those statements right now, <laughs> um, and we'll just have the single uh, single division, I think, guys. That does just about wrap up this episode of the This Week in Cricket focus on test matches with Pakistan and Australia and England West Indies. You will see in the feed our regular This Week in Cricket as well, which is talking Women's World Cup, domestic New Zealand cricket, New Zealand, Netherlands. And following up in the feed, we are going to take the opportunity during the IPL to talk a lot of white ball cricket with This Week in Cricket's focus on IPL cricket, but also the resurgence of the Hall of Fame. We're going to have a few episodes of that coming your way over the course of the next four or five weeks whilst we're a little bit quieter with international cricket going on around the world. Please do drop a like or a subscribe. Let a friend, a club member or family member know about the podcast. It really, really does help us to grow. But for now, it is good night and God bless from us here in Fongaproa, Auckland. Good night. God bless. See you soon.